FBI Radio. I'm really excited because it's 10 a.m. and it hasn't happened for a while, but it's happening now. It's happening. It's happening. <laughs> professor Kurt Iverson, um, you're the Associate Professor of Urban Geography at Sydney Uni. He's back, but down to earth. We talk about how to make our cities fairer and more sustainable. Yes, ma'am. Here we are. Welcome back. All right. It's good to be here. It's good to have you back. And um, we're going to just get cracking right on into it. Yeah. This week, we're going to be talking about the Green New Deal. Uh, it's been making waves in the US and all around the world, and it has plenty of folks either really excited or horrified, mm-hmm. maybe confused. Maybe confused. <laughs> so we're going to sort all that out today. So what is it? Well, look, this is it. And I figured, you know, it's a good topic for us to talk about because we're back for the start of a new year and we've had a crazy summer here in Australia already, right? Um, there's heat waves and droughts and fires and floods and fish kills and all sorts of stuff going on. But, um, of course, like at the end of last year as well, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change put out this report basically saying that as a planet, we've got about 12 years to cut emissions in half if we want to keep warming to non-calamitous levels <laughs> by the end of the century. So it's kind of like between everything that you read in the papers about what's going on and then that report, everything can feel a little bit overwhelming um, and like how we're going to do all that in 12 years. But what's kind of exciting is that in different parts of the world, these really big bold visions about how we can actually do that in 12 years are starting to emerge and the Green New Deal is one of them. So um, I figured it'd be a good way for us to kick off down to earth for 2019. Let's do it then. I think you need to tell us what is the Green New yeah. Deal. Well, so technically speaking, right, it's a it's just it's a resolution that's been put to Congress in the United States by a couple of Democratic uh, politicians, like politicians from the Democrat Party, um, and in particular led by um, a new Congresswoman. Uh, who's out of New York called Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, um, as she's popularly known. So she's a young firebrand Democrat who kind of got elected um, just very recently, kicked out an old incumbent Democrat in the primaries last year. Was you she know. the youngest yeah, to she's be elected? Yeah, she's like the youngest to be elected. She was like working part-time as a cocktail bartender and community organiser when she got herself elected. Hear that, listeners? Yep. There you go. It can be <laughs> you too. State I know. Off you go. You better be quick. Um, and so they, um, her and uh, Edward Markey have put this resolution to Congress saying we need a Green New Deal if America is going to actually lead the world in this global challenge of cutting emissions, then we're going to have to not just muck about at the edges. We're going to actually have to do something super duper serious. Um, and so there's a whole bunch of people, the Sunrise Foundation, Naomi Klein, like a you know, gazillion sort of environmental groups who are super excited and supportive of this idea. Bernie Sanders has endorsed it and, you know, he's going to be backing it, running for president, la, la, la. Um, and as I say, I think they're excited just because it does at least kick off a conversation and it really has work to do that about how we might tackle this challenge in 12 years and make a big dent in uh, emissions and also fix some other stuff that's going wrong in society at the same time. I think it's interesting that a lot of the loudest voices, I I mean, besides Bernie, he's been going Mm -hmm. for a while, but a lot of the loudest voices are young people who have grown up in this climate. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, as you say, you can, I'm just sort of, 
coming into this year feeling optimistic between stuff like this and students all over the world going on strikes about climate and stuff. I think, as you say, um, not that they haven't been active, but young people all over the place are stepping up and saying, you know, our planet, our future, (laughs) what's up? Let's do something. So um, this, yeah, this thing now, like uh, it's huge. And that's why it's generating such a fuss. It's like a 10-year program that they're proposing in this resolution that would cost hundreds of billions of dollars. Um, and the core of it is a massive investment in American-based like manufacturing and implementation of renewable energy sources so that even by 2030, um, it's 100% renewable energy. But... Um, there's also all these programs about restoration of environments and uh, infrastructure upgrades and public transport and reduced air pollution, um, heaps of stuff like that. But um, what's also been super controversial about it is that as well as all the stuff that you would classically associate with environmental politics, there's all this kind of social policy agenda that's like wrapped into it as well, right? So they're saying, for instance, that they want a universal job guarantee. So anybody in America who wants a job, the state will provide you with one. Um, Because what they're saying is, if we're going to fix all the bridges and build all the public transport and build all the renewables, we're going to need a massive workforce. So let's just offer anybody who wants a job in those industries a job paid for by the state and let's guarantee them healthcare and education for free while we're at it. Did you hear that? They're building bridges, not walls. (laughs) Not walls. Oh, (laughs) oh no. (laughs) Let's not go to the wall. Anything else to that point? Uh, no, no. So, look, I guess it's just that, you know, a whole series of things where the resolution's really explicit about saying that America has a dual challenge here. One is ecological and one is social, and it's about inequality and about the fact that already climate change and climate crises are wrecking some communities and leaving others fine and well off. So it's about trying to sort of bring everybody up at the same time, not just fix the environment for a few people. So obviously majority can get around the environmental um, side of it, but mm-hmm. of, like who is sponsoring this legislation? Yeah, yeah. And so that's, I think this is the other reason it has been so controversial is because um, it's being pretty militantly asserted by um Ocasio-Cortez and um, the Sunrise Foundation and stuff, you know, they occupied the Speaker's office, Nancy Pelosi's office a few weeks ago, trying to put pressure on her to do it. And she actually, like, even though she's an elected congresswoman, like, turned up and supported them occupying the office and said, yeah, we're going to do this. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's all pretty it's all pretty intense and interesting watching the debate unfold over there at the moment. Where did this idea come from? What's the, what's the politics of all of this? Yeah, well, look, the... There's two big things going on here, I reckon, in this Green New Deal. First, um, it's premised on a belief that the way that our whole economy and society is organised um, is both creating the environmental mess we're in, but also generating these levels of inequality. And I guess the premise is here that those two things are actually linked. Um, it's about an economy that's based on effectively extraction. Um, So, you know, exploiting some people at the expense of others and exploiting the environment um, at the expense of, you know, planetary climate and these things. So basically saying, if we're going to turn things around, like the people that are advocating this are talking about literally the economy needing a system reboot, right? That we just actually have to bust up that extractive model of how we do the economy and rethink it. So, um, putting those two things together, which is a very, you know, it's what we're all about here on Down to Earth, like fairness and sustainability all at the same time, right? So that's going on. Um, And the second thing that's going on here is 
the idea, and this is where the New Deal language comes in, the idea that you don't do this by like tweaking things around the edges anymore. The like time window is shorter and shorter and we actually need to do something big and bold and dramatic. And they're sort of saying that it's not the first time in the last century that America has done that, right? They had a moon program. They had massive state control of the economy during World War II to win the war. In the Depression, they had the New Deal with massive infrastructure investments to give people jobs um, after they'd been become unemployed during the Depression. So they're kind of saying this is our moonshot, this is our New Deal, but it's got to be green, it's got to be egalitarian, um, So and it's got to be massive, 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 not just tweaks. Massive from... Professor Kurt Iverson, <laughs> right here on Down to Earth. I want to know how this is different to these things that have happened in the past after this song. How's that All sound? right, that's a plan. You're listening to Mornings with Eddie Diamond and we are in the middle of Down to Earth with Professor Kurt Iverson. We're talking about the Green New Deal and I want to know why this is different to previous four plans from government. Yeah. So the big contrast with the way that things tend to get done when we do climate policy right now is about the role of the market and the role of the government in fixing this mess. So if you think about it, when we hear all these terms like carbon taxes and cap and trade systems and blah, 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 we can group them all together into what we call a market mechanism for dealing with the climate problem. And the idea behind those is that, hey, if we put a price on pollution, so people who pollute have to pay, then the market will sort out everything, right? Because people won't want to pay the money to be polluters. And so they'll be encouraged to be super efficient, non-polluting people. And if they keep polluting, they're going to have to pay the non-polluting people with their carbon credits and carbon taxes, blah, 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 right? So that's the idea. Basically, we'll just put something in, in place and let, let the market sort it out. So the Green New Deal is a rejection of that whole philosophy of how we deal with climate change and the climate problem. And it says, instead, actually, we need the government to step in and do stuff directly. Like, as happened during the war, or as happened even in Australia during the post-war reconstruction period, let's not leave climate, let's not leave housing, let's not leave education to the market to provide it. Let's get the state to tax the rich and then use the tax money to actually invest in renewable energy programs, to invest in infrastructure um, and to pay people decent wages to work in those industries. And, you know, even to encourage the private sector to come in and invest in those industries too, because you're kind of creating a market through government action. So that's the kind of big philosophical difference between the Green New Deal and the kind of market approaches to dealing with climate problems. So, Kurt. Mm-hmm. It always comes back to in, on down to earth. What does this mean for our cities? Yes. Well, uh, yeah, there's so much to unpack. So there's a woman in America called Kate Aronoff who's actually written a wonderful article um, that we should try and put a link up to later, just where she just imagines like what life would be like in 2030 if we'd had 10 years of a Green New Deal in cities. And the interesting thing about it is, is that a lot of what she writes about there speaks really directly to a whole bunch of problems that we experience in our everyday life um, in cities like Sydney, as well as speaking to the climate problem, right? So um, 
the Green New Deal is not just about getting more solar panels on people's roofs, even though we need to do that. It's also about ensuring that like everybody can afford to live in sustainable and energy efficient housing. Um, and if you can't afford that through the market, about imagining a world where we're back to a situation where the state might actually provide that for you. Imagining um, a world where not only caring for the environment, but caring for the young and the old and um, the unhealthy is actually affordable for everybody. Um, and the people who do that care are actually recognized and rewarded for the work that they do um, more than the people who are extracting profit, you know, and doing all the other things that aren't actually contributing to the quality of our lives. So that's the kind of world that they're asking us to imagine, right? Which all sounds super utopian. <laughs> and this is why all the critics of the New Deal over in America are saying it's just a socialist shopping list and it's fantasy and it's blah, blah, blah. But as you were saying just before, this sounds, all those ideas quite sound quite similar to uh, policies and things that were put in place post-war. Yeah. And so like... Um, even just to give that a bit of an Australian angle as much as an American one, you know, the Americans are talking about the moon program and the New Deal in the 1930s, but um, Osmond Chu has written a really interesting piece for Eureka Street, again, that you can Google and find easily enough, saying, well, we've done similar things in Australia here too, right? Like the moment of the end of World War II, um, when all these returning soldiers are coming back to a massive housing crisis, um, that, you know, all the industry that had been geared up to produce uh, weapons and other things, you know, for the war effort had to be completely turned around. And there we just did have a Commonwealth government that took a leading role in what was called at that time post-war reconstruction. So again, he's sort of saying, like, we managed it during the war and after the war. Why can't we take climate change as seriously as we took defeating fascism um, and defeating Japanese imperialism, right? Like, why not? Um, and even, like... It occurs to me that even if you think about the effort that went into the bloody Olympics here, right? Oh, Somehow huge. the trains were running every two minutes. Can't Nobody do it was on in New their Year's. cars. Everybody was happy, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then the Olympics finished. It's like, oh, yeah, we can't do that all the time. <laughs> it was just for two weeks. So, you know, there have been moments when um, society has mobilized the resource when it's all come together and said, this thing is so big and important that we have to put everything into it. Uh, and I guess the New Deal people are saying, well, we're at that stage now with the climate crisis, so let's let's be serious. And both those examples that you've just given um, are kind of what the Green New Deal is. The Olympics are obviously mobilised for economic reasons mm -hmm. and post-war was for humanitarian reasons, being a caring society. Mm. So put those two things together, bang, yeah. Green New Deal. <laughs> so easy. So, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it does, like here there's been a conversation, even if you've been following the Commonwealth and the state elections, like I think things are starting to turn here. There's been at least a bit more discussion about what in Australia gets referred to as just transitions. And that's the idea that if we are going to say leave it in the ground, no more coal, then what happens to the communities in the Hunter or in Queensland that are actually dependent on coal mines uh, and other extractive industries for jobs? And it's like, how do we transit out of that into another economy in a fair way so that we don't just say to people, well, good luck now that you don't have a job, screw you. So it's interesting that the mining union, the CFMMEU, have actually done a big project um, called just transitions um, last year, trying to think about what the government could do to kind of sponsor a transition out of mining for its members. 
but you know on the other hand the Queensland branch of that same union has been like really pro Adani and you know threatening anybody that tries to stop it that you know they'll back the other people blah 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 so it's an interesting moment in Australia for all this stuff for sure especially with the lead up to the election yeah and you know I guess we're seeing some sense of urgency around environmental stuff um, in the election and even I know you, you know you might be talking about it another time but even just comparing the energy policies of the major parties and the Greens going into this election in New South Wales, people should check them all out, you know. Um, Labor are talking about a new state-owned renewable energy company that they want to invest hundreds of millions of dollars in, and presumably the fact that it's state-owned means that they can control the price that they sell the energy for, that the jobs you would hope would be good, proper, permanent union jobs working for the company, da-da-da. So it's interesting, yeah, that you know some of these things are being picked up even if the language hasn't yet kind of translated the New Deal language into Australia. Some of the ideas may be hopefully starting to be filtered down. in. Yeah. So nice to have you back, Kurt. Oh, it's very nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, looking forward to the chat next week already. Yeah, yeah. And Easy. If you want to get more info on this conversation, though, and all the things we're talking about, we will put that up on the program's page. Beauty. Thank you. See you next time. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.